Craig, like when we record here and Craig is such like he so we have to use that bot, Craig, and he's such a pain in the rear. Because he doesn't do anything you want, and he's like he's like this complaining assistant that like he when he works he does what you want really well, but you have to get him to this point of actually you know doing it, and he complains about it. He's I think they should rename Craig to Killick, is what they should do. <laughs> but you know, Killick, Killick. Yeah, I don't, yeah. Get, that I don't get that one, Cheryl. Sorry. Oh. Well, uh, Killick from uh, Master and Commander or the Patrick O'Brien books, the Master and Commander books, no? Oh, no? No. Master and Commander, uh, The Far Side of the World. I believe that was the full title of the Gladiator book. Yes, on yes. A boat. Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. It's very technical. Gladiator on a boat. <laughs> That's all I know about this movie. Well, I guess. I've not seen that. Russell Crowe's in both of those. Yeah, I've, I've never is. seen uh, Master and Commander. That's uh, Yeah, neither have I. What? None of you? Joe? No. Oh, my God. Well, you know, it's kind of my thing. So uh, I guess, you know. It, it's on our list. Yes. Yeah, it's, on, it's on my list. <laughs> I hope so. My name is Elisa Gonzalez, and I have not seen Master and Commander, The Far Side of, far side of the World. <laughs> My name is Andrew Lindy, and I had not seen Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. My name is Bethany Brinton, and I have not seen Master and Commander. I'm not going to say the whole thing. <laughs> My name is Cheryl Jones, and oh, yes, I have seen Master and Commander, The Far Side of the World. I'm Joe Myers, and I have not seen Master and Commander Jack Aubrey versus the World. And this is, it's on my list. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Cheryl, did you... Did you come to this movie from from the books, or did you see the movie first? No, I saw the movie. This movie came out roughly a little over four months after Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, which everyone who has ever heard me talk on any podcast knows (laughs) was kind of an important movie for me. And so I was four months into my fascination with historical pirates. And and then this was one that like my dad wanted to see because it's, you know, on boats and manly stuff. And and we had uh, friends of the family, a, a husband and wife and the husband there wanted to see it. The wives went along for Russell Crowe. And I went along thinking, well, it's not pirates, but, you know, I mean, I'm into pirates. I don't really like the Royal Navy because they, you know, kill pirates, <laughs> but I'll go see it because it is on the sea. And... Uh, yeah, I think this one had a less immediate effect on me, but I eventually came around to the Royal Navy as my primary subject in life. So, uh, so I had not I had not read the books, and in fact, um, I like I would I volunteered at the the Tall Ships Challenge Festival at San Pedro a number of times when it used to come around every three years, and one time I was volunteering ashore, but working with uh, I think HMS Surprise was actually there. It was, it was, oh, cool. I don't know. 
it was some vessel like that. I think it was her. And I re- specifically requested that vessel because, <laughs> oh, my mm-hmm. gosh. And there were like multiple people that I talked with when they were in line to get on the on the ship that uh, were like, oh, you must have read all the Patrick O'Brien books. And I was like, no, I'm actually I'm not trying not to. And <laughs> because I'm afraid I'll like them and then I'll have to read all 21 of them. And they're like, no, but you, you should read them because you'll understand all of that sailing stuff in it that just we just the rest of us just have to read and kind of skim over and go, I don't know what they're doing, you know. <laughs> so I finally did read them over the course of a year and a half of lunch breaks when I worked at Disney. And oh, wow. um, which was nice in the summer because I could sit and read it and hear the the fire the guns on Sailing Ship Columbia, which kind of went with the theme. Oh, that's but so cool. Yeah, that it was is, really that nice. Is pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> I always wanted it to time out precisely as I was reading about a battle, but it never it never <laughs> yes. quite worked out that way. But <laughs> it would have been so cool. But uh, but yeah, I did read them and I did. I think there was one thing. I don't even remember what it was, but there was one thing they said in the book, some sailing action in the heat of battle that I was like, yeah, I have no idea what that is. But the rest of it, I fully understood. And by that point, you know, I knew what they were doing. So that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> that was, but that was exactly the answer I was looking for. <laughs> yeah, I do just, have um, like technical questions about the movie that I will perfect, circle back to perfect, Cheryl. Perfect, because I was just, I know Cheryl's like so ready to be our like encyclopedia. Yes, I was just gonna say, just be ready for a lot of long answers to things today. I'm Yay. gonna and please try to keep me under control because we don't need this to be three hours long. But it could easily <laughs> Patreon is just that. all Cheryl talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just say, for anyone who does listen to this and would like to hear me talk endlessly about this sort of thing, listen to my episode of Jackie Cation's The Dork Forest yeah, uh, from yes. a couple years ago. That was such because... a great episode. <laughs> she tells me anytime I run into her, she tells me that she still gets good feedback on it from time to time. Oh, like nice. people still, you know, I was voted that's number awesome. three episode for the year. So that's wow. podium wow. finish, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting that this came out around the same time or actually after uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, and I I don't even think I knew about it at the time. I mean, like I was I was a lot younger than most people here. But <laughs> younger than me. At the time, like I like I went to see Pirates because it was like the cool thing to do. And it was kind of like geared towards like a little bit younger people. Yeah. But you'd kind of think that this movie would also maybe try the same tactic. Like I'd be interested to go watch some trailers for this. I did, I'm assuming actually, the that they day. would. Okay. Are they more like Oscar Beatty or are they more like come well, and sail the seven seas? There was a, there was, I on the DVD I have, there was a teaser and then the full theatrical trailer and then an international trailer. And the teaser was terrible. It, <laughs> it was like trying to make it into like a full action movie looking thing. Yeah. And I was like, that's not what this movie is at all. I mean, little bits, but, and then the full trailer gave a, a, a better view of what the movie actually is. So it, it was definitely appealing, a little bit Oscar Beatty, a little bit, but just okay. definitely more appealing to adults who could come into a, a drama like this, you know. I'll, I'll yeah. tell you what I what I read. Okay. Uh, which is that it they did release it in November, hoping for some Oscar recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that, that that teaser trailer said June. I think I was like, "Whoa, that's weird." I didn't know it was gonna. Yeah, and something. and there was a um, there was an executive who basically made this his passion project. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was Tom Rothman. 
Yeah, something uh, like that. He, he, I guess he loved the books, and he was like, this is a series. Like, if we can nail oh, the yeah. first one, this will be a new series. Yes, yes, which uh, Russell Crowe has continued to want to do. Um, he's well past the age at which he could play Jack Aubrey again, but... They're trying to make uh, gladiator sequels too. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like he could do it, but like part mm-hmm. of the problem is there. Rarely does a studio want to do a movie that's based on the sea. You know, it's just expensive to do all of this to have the Water ship world. and everything. This movie. I read it was uh, 150 million dollars. Oh my! Yeah, Lord. well, and that's wow. and I mean, and it's got at the beginning, it's 20th Century Fox, Miramax, and Universal together, and, and Universal, that was one of the I was first really movies. Surprised. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the first movies where you had a combination of studios releasing something, and I think I I'm just theorizing that had a lot to do with money, but yeah. <laughs> oh, on on the subject of Russell Crowe still wanting to do the sequel. Uh, in January of this year, he had he went to Twitter to defend yes. the movie. As did I once I saw him doing it. I, I chimed in on that. Of course I did. <laughs> I don't remember what I wrote, but it's very it, erudite, it was, I'm sure. The, the, the tweet in question was someone had said, you know, oh, if you're having trouble falling asleep, oh, yes. just put on Master and Commander. I never make it past the first 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which I Russell was Crow. like... I was yeah. like the first ten minutes. There's a which I which in watching it last night, I realized it's probably like right at the ten minute mark that this initial battle sequence starts. But I was like, how do you fall asleep in the oh, middle yeah. of a battle sequence? But I think he just didn't. The guy must have turned it off like right before that started. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was glad to see Russell Crowe stand up for it, but I know he always will because he he is very connected to. Jack Aubrey, which is interesting because in the in the extras on the DVD, he didn't initially want to take the role, and he mm-hmm. wasn't an O'Brien fan before that. He read the books when when the part was offered to him, and he was considering it. And he said he turned it down a few times, you know, saying no, I'm not going to do it, and then immediately coming back to it before finally deciding, yeah, I want to, I want to do this. And and now it's a thing that he continues to want to do more of. <laughs> I wonder why he didn't want to do it. Uh, he said, and I uh, I can't remember. I'm going to see if I wrote a note about that. These notes are a little more dense to go through. Uh, oh, it, I, I don't know. I don't recall why he said he didn't, didn't want to do it, but he finally did take it simply because he wanted to work with Peter Weir. Uh, uh, cool. who directed what else it. has... Uh... Peter, De- or what did I guess? What had he done before this? Because I didn't really recognize. I know him. he did. Well, I he, mean, he's done. He, go ahead. He did the Truman Show. <laughs> oh wow, was a, that was okay. one. Yeah, I, and I he did. I like. One. He did the Mosquito Coast, which is one that I really like with Dead Harrison Poet Ford. Society. That's I was about one. to say, oh, how yeah. was Dead Poet Society not the first thing that or I Witness? I forgot that was. I forgot that was him. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah, he's done he, a lot. He's of... one of the. He's an Australian director who came up around the same time as. Um, oh, what, who's that Mad Max guy? George, George, George Miller. Miller. Yes. Uh, and so it was kind of like you know Australian directors were getting noticed, uh, so he he kind of was uh, lumped in as part of that. He did Picnic at Hanging Rock and the Cars That Ate Paris, in in seventy four and seventy five. And Gallipoli as well in eighty one. That was yeah. a so I, I think people know of Picnic at Hangar. That's definitely something that's yes. on my list personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah I've never uh, seen it. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard. You know, oh, it's you know, it's such a, a revolutionary. You know, it's it's really got it's a thinker that kind of thing. Uh, but 
but yeah, between Dead Poet Society and Truman Show, like it's it's it seems that Peter Weir is like this director who can really you know those are very different kinds of movies, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, oh yeah, he's gonna do you know an epic at sea. It's like, oh it, yeah, sure, he, he can do anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it was really fun watching the one of the DVD special features was just him talking about. Um, deciding to do this and then how he went, you know, his process basically of writing it and getting into directing it. And because it was brought to him by that executive who championed the movie. And so he said, he apparently this guy called a medium with him. He came into his office. The guy handed him a sword and said, here, you're going to, I want you to do yes. Patrick O'Brien. I want you to turn these into a movie. And he was like, I don't, okay. Do I get to keep this if I don't? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's like, no. He's like, okay, I will. And then he went, he went off to uh, uh, Greenwich, England, to the National Maritime Museum, which I've, of course, been to a few times, and it's fantastic. And, you know, saw Nelson's uniform and did all the stuff there, and then went to Portsmouth, where I also have been a couple times and visited HMS Victory. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, went through all the O'Brien books and and he said when he was in Greenwich, like he always likes when he writes something, he likes to have something on his desk to sort of inspire him for what he's writing. And he stumbled into one of the antique shops in Greenwich, which I have not gone into, but I have looked in the window. Um, (laughs) and he bought a slew of things just as I would be afraid of attempting to do in one of those stores. But he had, I mean, he's showing in this video like all these different things he'd purchased of, you know, genuine uh, antiques from the era. Uh, so, yeah, he kind of got into it cool. <laughs> a little bit. Wow. <laughs> and did he did he solely write the screenplay or was it like him and somebody else? Or uh, Well, it was. It says it's him and a guy named John, I wrote down, John Coley. John Coley. Coley. Collie, okay. uh, and then of course Patrick O'Brien is credited, but just for yes. the novels, you know, he was he was, I think he was dead by. I this think he time. passed in two thousand. Yeah. Wow. So the twenty-first book is unfinished. A lot of the avid fans will not read it because it's <laughs> unfinished. And I did read it, and uh, I thought it was actually a nice way to send those characters off after a year and a half of reading. Just they just go sailing off, and who knows what adventures they go on next. That's well, a bummer. <laughs> he died <laughs> before he could see this movie. Yeah. Yes, that's sad. But I, I, I mean, I think he would have loved it. But at the same time, they like the core of the movie is the tenth. I think the tenth book, um, the Far Side of the World. Um, but and even Peter Weir says this in the thing that he to make it more cinematic and make it work better. He pulled from a lot of the books, and they changed very much changed some of the storyline of the Far Side of the World. Everything with Mister Hollum. Uh, was different <laughs> than what it is in the book. Uh, it's not quite as... I mean, it's, things that happen with him are sad, but not uh, in the manner that they are in the books. I, you know, remember when this movie came out, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know. I want to, you know, hear from everybody else. Do you, Does anyone remember hearing about this movie when it came out? I do. Really, I don't think Besides so. Besides me, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my oldest and dearest friends, John, raved about this movie to the point to where he showed me like the first 15 minutes of it so I could see the opening battle. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that looks cool. That's cool. And I just never, I still never went back to watch it. 
but uh, he's the only other person besides Cheryl that I know who like champion this movie and rave about it. <laughs> it is a, you know, perhaps a bit of a specialized enjoyment. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I liked it before I was really into all, too into all of this I stuff. Had, I think I had seen a clip of it in high school and I can't remember if it was like, I think, I'm trying to remember what class it was because truly it was so like random. It was either for biology and they were talking about the Galapagos or it was for world history and they were talking about like the Napoleonic Wars. But either way, the clip we saw what or it was music class and they were just showing us the Bach prelude. Mm. Either way, it was when they were playing (laughs) the Bach prelude and they, they go to the Galapagos for the first time. Yes. Now, I, I, I do like, Bethany, your little story there really shines a light on all the different things that this movie covers. Yeah. 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 It, <laughs> a it lot really, of it's, different subjects. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's got this, you know, it's, it's built into history. Like this is not, I mean, Cheryl, you can uh, back me up here. <laughs> this isn't strictly a true story. Correct. Uh, but then it's, it's also covering, you know, that time period in such a detailed way that, it, right. I, I mean, it, Cheryl, again, I have to go to you because you've read the novels, but it, like they, it's trying to be told as if it's true. Like this is a believable thing that yeah. happened in this time period. Yes. Well, ever, outside of them taking the Napoleonic Wars into the Pacific, which really didn't happen um, beyond that, uh, everything that you see in this movie is very accurate to mm. you know life aboard a, a vessel of the royal navy very you can accurate. definitely tell i mean like from from me a person who knows like less than zero about ships um well no i know like two things um, but, <laughs> but like and you you can tell it's it it kind of the in the way that it, it kind of lacks superfluousness like mm-hmm. a lot of hollywood movies you can kind of tell they're just like doing stuff to be cool or they're being like really showy all of this stuff was very like very militaristic which you can pick up yeah. right away. and and the the fact that they they have so much terminology and so many like commands and things that aren't explained to the audience just kind of is like we don't have time for this but you you kind of get what's going on anyway yeah <laughs> they do they do have the um they have the slightest as you know bob moment are you talking about the sextants <laughs> when paul paul bettany's character asks something and uh and oh, the captain about... turns to him and says oh i guess i'll explain it to you again yes what is what is the weather gauge yes yeah. oh weather gauge weather yes. gauge yeah well okay. and that's the thing that's great even in the books about the stephen matter and character is that he is the readers or in this case the viewers stand in because he's the guy who's aboard these ships and has no yeah. naval knowledge whatsoever. This is not his world. He is just in the books. He has simply fallen into a friendship with Jack Aubrey. They hate each other when they initially encounter each other. Or Stephen hates Jack. Jack doesn't hate Stephen. And, uh, but then they fall into a friendship and it becomes this thing where he then is our stand-in, basically, hmm. on, the bo- on the ship. I think, and I think that's the uh, a thing that drives this movie is their core. These two characters' friendship—that's like the core. Oh yeah, it's of, very much yeah. a bromance. Mm-hmm. Yes. It and and because they're <laughs> so different. The I mean, um, what is the the captain's name? I'm so sorry. Jack Aubrey. Jack Aubrey. Aubrey right. Yes. Aubrey is so into the ship, the life at sea, uh, the the navy. Like he, that is everything that he is. Mm-hmm. And then we have this uh, uh, 
doctor character yeah. who is not about that at all. He he likes nature. Right. <laughs> he, you know, uh, doesn't, you know, seem drawn to the fighting. He He's very good at what he does, which is, you know, healing and, and knowing medical things. Yes. Uh, and so it's, it is, you know, when you just get down to those two and their scenes and their interactions and the arc that, that this movie kind of puts them on, it is, I, I was drawn to that pretty quickly. I was like, oh yeah. my goodness, this is really cool that the way that they're portraying them and you can tell that they have this deep respect for one another uh, even though they have, they pretty much don't understand each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, which, and that, that friendship, that bromance, whatever you want to call it, is the core of all 21 books of the O'Brien series. So that's the, that had to be the core of this movie is just... That's what the books are really about. Yes, there's all the naval stuff and it's very exciting, but ultimately it's about these two men and their friendship. I I, I especially like some of the little, uh, like the dinner scenes where Those it's it's very so clear fun. that that uh, <laughs> that uh, he's he's out of his depth with with what's going on. <laughs> yes, yeah, so when the when they when they are are heading south and then they are all having dinner and the the beam above them moves like you know they're all like oh and he's like obviously something fascinating and nautical just happened i like he's like <laughs> yes. what is going on you know? Like, he's like you're all drunk i don't know what's happening okay i love that the like the the 12 year old like navy kids were like drinking and having a good time and the doctor's just like i don't know what's happening <laughs> hey at that time it wouldn't have been unusual for a no. kid that age to drink you know <laughs> mm-hmm. or lose his arm on a ship correct oh correct see <laughs> so you guys are he talking about kid. the bromance that little kid was my that gateway kid. into this movie oh yeah i Blake was so me. invested yes. in what happened to him yes, yes. that's Mr. what Blake i was just me is marvelous. Oh, yeah i did not want anything to happen to that kid <laughs> and then something horrible happens to that kid <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I the, so the horrible thing happens like what is it, like maybe fifteen minutes in like yeah it's the first battle right yeah but then I I was like laughing and also like almost crying at the end when he's like leading he's in charge of the ship because a it's <laughs> hilarious because everyone's yelling and screaming and then you just hear this like tiny little child's voice going like we have to board <laughs> yes we like, must what board is yeah. <laughs> why is there a child. <laughs> But he was, uh, you know, he was a young midshipman, and they, they would come in at ages like that, 10, 12, yeah. uh, from, well, and, usually and, from nautical families. Yeah, and that was cool because they, when they were, I think, doing repairs on the, the ship, they, they, well, the one, that was another, as you know, Bob, moment where the, the one guy was showing me, they were, oh, here's Jack, he scratched his name into the ship when he was like 12 or, or whatever. He's like, there's enough, what is it, enough blood in her to, to be a relative. Yes, and the, yeah, <laughs> enough, enough of his Jack's blood, blood in her, in her yes. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he would have, you know, I mean, he wouldn't have necessarily come aboard that same ship and been on it forever, you know, but because he mm. would have moved around as he does in the books. He's not only on Surprise in the ah. books, there are other ships, but because um, uh, no captain was bound to one vessel for his whole career. But uh, mm-hmm. but this is sort of his Millennium Falcon. <laughs> you also have, there's a, a, a small child who's in just a, in the regular crew, not a midshipman and he's more of a powder monkey when they're in in battle you know running the running the uh black powder the you know the gunpowder up from 
the uh, powder room up to the guns during battle. Mm -hmm. So you see, I mean, it's very realistic in the sense that it shows people of all ages in there in the kind of roles they really would have fulfilled. And there are, there's a lot of characters. Like, it's just a Yes, lot. there are, yes. Yeah. I, I it, found at times I was having difficulty going, oh, uh, wait, this guy was over here. Oh, now he's over there. And I, I'd have to <laughs> really uh, readjust my thinking on like, oh, right, we've, we've seen this guy. Uh, what, what's his deal? I had to remind myself. I like that they, they kind of used names, like, again, pretty qu quickly, but you, you weren't really supposed to, at least to me, I wasn't trying to rely on the names. They kind of just, like, everybody had said, at least the, the main, I don't know, like, 12 or so guys had such distinct looks and, like, different costumes and kind of ways that, like, they, they wore their hair or, like, their facial hair that you could tell them apart when you needed to. <laughs> In particular, what what was the guy? Ma Mala? Ma meh? Mow it? Sure. Mow it? The, the, guy, the guy that killed himself. Uh, oh, Hollum. Mr. Hollum. Hollum. Thank you. Hollum. He just had like a very distinct look and kind of mannerisms that set him apart from everybody um, that he was pretty easy to recognize, I think. Yeah. One of the interesting things in the casting of this that, that I learned watching that extra was that uh, for a lot of the crew, like the background crew, um, they actually went out kind of all over the world and found people with and they went out to non-actors as well like fishermen and uh just people from all kinds of different walks of life who had uh, that the kind of look that you might have seen in paintings of the era of yeah, like wow. average people and stuff or of sailors and because they you know and even the, a lot of the actors came from the stage rather than screen um and it was interesting that they took so much time because they cast, I think it's, it said it was something like, well, I have a note here somewhere, something like 90 people or something like that for, yeah, wow. 90 extras. Um, oh, yeah, they found them, uh, sailors, they found them in bars. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, just people who were a little hard-worn, I think, mm -hmm. <laughs> that would look right and would look like the broad array of nationalities that actually would have been aboard a vessel of the era. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, I thought that was really cool that they didn't. And, and then, I mean, the thing that they did to make all of this work was all of the actors, they came early um, to the set in Mexico. They filmed it at the, the Fox Baja studios where they did Titanic and built a, they basically, because they, they purchased HMS Rose, which was an American built ship made to look like a British ship. She was not actually an HMS anything. Um, but they purchased her from the East Coast where she was a sail training vessel and brought her out here and then built a full replica of her in a tank at wow. the Fox Boss. <laughs> yeah, the, the extra has like this whole process of them. They got all these artisans out there to build a ship, <laughs> like genuine, basically. But it was on a gimbal so they could move it around and do all the really oh, dangerous cool. seafaring stuff. But they did also film with the actual Rose uh, renamed Surprise, of course, um, which is the name she bears to this day. Um, but to say, you know, to do some of the shots with her out in the actual ocean, but then all everything else. And then they had the sets for the interiors built at the studio there as well. But then they put everybody through uh, a two-week boot camp to teach them how to be sailors, to teach them the terminology so they understood what they were doing, to do actual gun drills uh, oh, cool. So everything looked right. And then they gave them a separate um, area just for 
the actors, none of the crew could come into it unless they were invited, but it was just to foster more of a, a camaraderie, more of a teamwork so that that would translate mm -hmm. to them being a crew on screen, which that's, I yeah. mean, who does none that? Of, <laughs> none, of the, none of the crew looked like they were, I mean, it looked authentic to me. Yeah, very it right. looked like everybody fit in. They knew their part. They, you know, when they were barking out commands or whatever, um, no one in the background looked like, you know, I'm just, you know. <laughs> faking yeah. it or you know yeah. trying to yeah. not in this rope or you know they they look like they were you know hardworking. They everything looked fantastic yeah and that was one of the in in one of the videos that's literally peter weir was telling all of them like you may be way in the background but you have to be working this ship you have to look like you know what you're doing and be doing it because somebody's going to spot you back there <laughs> if you're not. And that's Cheryl. You know, like, Cheryl. Yes. Cheryl <laughs> the time, <laughs> I wouldn't have, but <laughs> now, absolutely, I would. <laughs> What's that guy doing? We'll be right back with more It's On My List. Whew. 105 minutes of Super Mario Brothers in the can. Can't believe we did it. Uh, what's next? Obviously, Denson checks in. Oh, you mean the 1996 Ape film directed by Ken Quapis? That's right. We're going to watch it one minute at a time. And for each minute that we watch, we're going to find a film that pairs nicely, like a, a wine with a fine dinner. Sounds great. See you next week. Dunstan checks men. Dunstan checks men. Dunstan checks men. Sure. I was going to ask, I think it was when they were yes. in, uh, it was when they were in the, the really terrible storm, I think before, before the guy fell off that they had to cut loose. Oops. Yes. Um, when they were rounding Cape Horn. Yes. I, I noticed that they were, it was like the, the, the way where they would measure speed by knots. And that's why speed is called knots now. But how does yes. that system work? I just I mean, it was like a uh, bunch of wind and rain, but I, then they were grabbing a rope yeah. that had knots on it. But how does you, that work? You, so you have a rope with knots on it, but at the end of it, there's a, a piece of wood, basically a light piece of wood, which is what the wind will catch. And so you basically toss that over the edge while somebody's holding onto the rope and there's you you time it for a certain amount of time. And I wish I knew offhand what amount of time it was, oh, 30 seconds, okay. something like that. And then, you know, when when you hit that time with your little hourglass thing, well, 30 second glass, uh, you yeah. you stop it with your hand and you count how many oh, okay. things have gone out. So, oh, wow. Yes. And I don't know if you noticed when they uh, at, near the beginning, when they say they've heard a bell uh, and it may be, uh, you know, the Mr. Hollum says native fisherman, perhaps. And, and mm. the guy up on the on the mast says or a reef marker. So they they say, oh, okay. to, to, you know, to do the lead, to to throw the lead. And so they do that, which then is another thing with with knots like that. So they can see how far down it goes before it yeah, stops it so is. they know how deep it is and then when they bring it up um and that's a little bit later in the scene they bring it up and they look at the underside side of it and they say sand and broken shell because it's got a tacky uh oh. bit of like fat on the bottom of it that when it hits the bottom they can bring it up and see what they're dealing with so like okay it's sand and broken shell so it's not a reef it's you know yeah so they have a better idea of what kind of ground they're in or they can look at their maps then if they have time and go okay we're here and you know in this general area. Cool. 
Yeah. That's interesting. I, yeah. <laughs> so. I'm getting a better appreciation for this film the more you talk about it, honestly. <laughs> yeah. Like, I didn't dislike I it. I, so. I liked it fairly well. The middle, I oh, thought, good. was a little bit slow. But now knowing yeah. everything that went into it and how dedicated they were to the craft of making it look realistic, man, I, I'm, I'm starting to, to bump my star ratings a little bit on this bad boy. <laughs> well, that's the thing I've always told people is, like, it, if nothing else, you can watch this film as a pretty good record of what it would have actually been like to be on a Royal Navy vessel in 1805. That, mm. you know, this is as close as any of us are ever going to get to seeing that. Uh, whereas yeah. a lot of other movies, like some, you know, do certain aspects of it well, but... They uh, Hollywoodize it. Yeah, yeah. there are right. things that just aren't right. Right. Uh, Whereas this one really, they really put the time and effort and research into getting it right. Now, I I and do want to uh, uh, bring bring up the question of the, so this idea of you know it, this is accurate and right and they didn't Hollywoodize it. But I think, I mean, what was it accurate that they would do like little tricks like like Aubrey was doing throughout the movie? Where Those were so cool. The, uh, he lit the light on a on a separate. Uh, little Andrew, mast. Andrew, all yeah. week I've been dreaming of you asking me that question. <laughs> like specifically you, and I don't know why. Oh, I love when well, I wrote that true. is my note. I, I love the light oh trick, God. but I just I was like, I don't know existence. if this is accurate, but I like it a lot. Yes. I'm so happy right now. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, in the movie, they talk about Admiral Nelson a lot, who was. Yes. Still to this day, Britain's greatest naval hero. But there's another captain, admiral later of this period, who's my personal favorite, who's Thomas Cochrane. And uh, in the books, the vast majority of of things that Jack Aubrey does or things that happen to him are based on Cochrane's real life. Things that are quite unbelievable, but they're true. And this is one of them where um, it wasn't done exactly like this, but uh, but Thomas Cochrane did have a situation where he was being pursued by an enemy vessel. And, it, it, and they even, they do talk about this in that extra that I watched as well, but um, because in that they said they n no ship being pursued would ever have left all of you know all of their stern lights lit, but what Cochrane did was had one crew member at the stern and had them like flash a lantern on and off, like so they covered it and uncovered it, to make in a in a lubberly flash fashion you know to make this enemy <laughs> ship think, oh somebody's being really careless over there and we're able mm -hmm. to spot them so cool, uh, but then he did build a thing like this where he put a light on barrels and and dropped it off the side of the ship and then covered, you know, put their lights out and let this thing mm -hmm. go. So it would kind of flash off and on in the wind and everything. And the enemy ship did follow that. And he was able to make a great deal of distance from them overnight, you know, to get away <laughs> because they were, they were, it was just a situation where they were outclassed and weren't going to be able to fight this other ship uh, with any hope of survival. So, uh, yes, Cochrane actually did that. So he cool. this this one guy did it. It's not like a, yeah, oh yeah no, it wasn't a okay. common tactic. No, that and, was and then same. I mean, I would have to assume the same for the pretending to be a whaling ship. Yeah, that one. I don't know that anybody ever did that because <laughs> that's that's such a. Um, it seemed like it took a lot of work. They're well, out there painting. It, yeah. it the did, and it's. And... I mean, they could have, but. Uh, and there were certainly times that ships sort of 
pretended to be something they weren't. But in this sort of specific thing, just because this is a story that didn't really happen, you know, in this scenario, they needed to really make it look good. But um, but there were instances of, of ships, you know, changing their paint, paint scheme a little bit, doing some things to look a little different than what they were to get an enemy didn't, ship um, to come closer. Didn't pirate ships do that, Cheryl? Like, yes. would, they, would they kind of paint themselves as like a, a sitting duck and then kind of take over whoever... Yeah, they might they might paint them. themselves as something else or, or a, attempt to appear like a different kind of vessel uh, and then, yeah, reveal themselves. Ha-ha, you know. Ah. <laughs> it did happen. It just wasn't super common and wasn't necessarily okay. this exact thing. So to the extent that they did it in this movie. Yeah, I, 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 I think those parts, I, I kind of picked up on that. I was like, this isn't common but it certainly you know wasn't unheard of or it wasn't right. uh it wasn't like made up entirely uh, yes. out of thin air and it's not like i keep thinking about the uh, we referenced uh, uh russell crowe's tweet uh defending <laughs> this movie and one of the things that he said about it is that it's an adult film like it is a mature like it is a film for adults <laughs> yes yes <laughs> and i keep thinking like yeah this is a real like it's it's there's no it's not even that it's like not a fantasy, you right. know. Uh, like the we you know we as you said, Pirates of the Caribbean, the first film had come yeah. out four months before this, and the, even though that is a film you know set at sea during you know a similar time period, it it involves you know ghost magic. Like it is right, <laughs> right, and it's very much played for laughs. Yeah, mm-hmm. Play, and there's, yeah, and there's a lot that's and... wildly inaccurate. In that movie, of oh, course, yeah. about both pirates and the Royal like, Navy. M- that's almost more of a traditional like swashbuckler yes. movie. Yes, mm-hmm. um, which I in love. The vein of like old know? Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, but, in the vein of like old Hollywood. And this, yeah, and 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 like like you were saying, Cheryl, to its accuracy, it's it's very nice to see because a lot of a lot of period pieces especially around this time are just like entirely start to finish war movies. Like you're in the trenches or you're like seeing like the generals planning stuff. And this is like a war movie, but it's, it's like this isolated little community kind of fighting a larger war (laughs) and you get to see what they're doing in addition to like firing on other, the other ship when it appears. It's what's called the wooden world, you know, out in the full world. Yes. Let me ask you this. Did any of you notice? And honestly, I, it was a number of... In fact, it was the first time I watched it on Blu-ray before I saw this. Uh, because that just illuminated so much of the movie. The Blu-ray got... Um, when they are heading... It's when they're heading south. And they're, they're just southing for a long time. Mm-hmm. And you get a shot that runs from the bow of the ship along the side. And there's snow on the ship... But did yeah. you spot the guy the using guy the guy taking a dump? <laughs> yes, oh, I no. did. I saw it, yes. I was like, why would you be over there? Because like, oh, this is why. That That's yes, where it is? This is why they are called heads on ships, because oh, they were located originally at the head, the head of, of the, the ship. ship. That part is called the head. That Not comes the poop off deck. The no, sorry, <laughs> no, it's not. I know, not. it really should have been. But <laughs> Come on. That ship so is it literally a just a hole? Yeah, yeah that, it was a board. Wow. It was out on the on those pieces that come off the bow, and it, was, it would be a board with yeah. like two or three holes in it. 
and you would just sit on it and it dropped down into the water which you later have the scene when they are in the doldrums which is when they're just there's no wind the water is glassy Uh. they're making no forward movement and i have read many true stories of ships being in that and you know everything you are releasing out of yourself is just floating right around the ship and doesn't go anywhere (laughs) and that's another thing like you don't think about the men using the heads like that in the wind and things get against the the bow of the ship and things and so before oh, yeah. before ships would come into port often there would be a process of cleaning <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'd be like you know, spitting into the wind yes only periodically you would else. you would clean the uh, you know the sides of the ship to wow. kind of clean that up because yeah there wasn't much you could do about it and there were there's a beautiful book if you really want to get into that called uh those vulgar tubes and it's a it's a master's dissertation written from i think uh texas a&m they have a series of three books that are just ones on the rudder ones on bilge pumps and one is on uh you know the those vulgar tubes it's all about shipboard sanitation i learned a great deal from it but (laughs) but you do you do also get a shot uh after that initial battle and jack pulls aside a curtain in his cabin and looks mm-hmm. inside at yes. his his quarter gallery that is called which the captain would have and you know mm-hmm. where he could go from inside the ship but it did the same thing it just ball hole <laughs> yeah so he would just use his thing with the big hole in it and it would go out through a tube out off the side of the ship wow <laughs> as well there were things called pistails. I love that name that were just big, basically like going to a stadium now. It was just a big trough in the middle oh, of God. the, on the side of the ship in the middle. And it would do the same thing. All the men could just, you know, pee in it and it would go out the side. And, yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a, a gutter almost. Basically. Yeah. But like, a why didn't they area. just pee yeah. off the back of the boat? I Dangerous, probably. You know, oh, yeah, I, I guess, mean, the heads are the dangerous enough, but you, yeah. would actually, <laughs> <laughs> you would, I think you would normally have been slightly inside the, the rail of the heads, but of the mm. head of the ship, this guy's got his feet over it, but I don't know, really I haven't tried it. So. I did notice that. And it was such a, like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> but he's out there. It's freezing in the and snow. The so time out chair. You, had no, you had no yeah. choice, you know, I'm like, oh, and what a terrible thing to have to go out and do, you know, yeah. in bad weather. So. <laughs> um yeah. let me i'll uh readjust again yes, please from, do. The, from the toilet talk let's talk about the Wee. movie now there, <laughs> there was something that i so i had done a little cheryl i have done a little research because Ooh, i was fancy. curious about uh the books <laughs> when i when i heard it was based on a book series i went well now i have to know uh they mentioned something in the movie and then there is a way that it is done where I went, well, oh. are we going to come back to this point? And it was the mentioning of spies. Oh, good. Were... Yes. I was literally, oh, yeah. as you started to say it, I thought, oh, I, I need to talk about a couple of things with Stephen. Yes. <laughs> well, and so what what I had discovered, and, and I thought this was pretty, I mean, I picked up on this in the film, even though the film does nothing with it. And that was, in right. fact, a... Um, I was trying to read what some critics thought at the time, film critics, like why why didn't this, you know, did people like it at the time? And it was yeah. generally well liked. Um, mm-hmm. But one critic was was uh, upset because he had read the books and he wanted there to be the spy plot. Yes. And yes. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I kind of would have liked a spy plot, but I see why it's not in the movie. Uh, yes. And, and it is specifically with um, uh, Matt Matarin. 
Yes, uh, I just who, I just sent a gift through on our uh, our Discord <laughs> channel of a I very see. key moment with Matterin, uh and this all figures together. So yes, yeah, so there's a point in the it, after that initial battle with the Acheron, which is, the whole plot of the movie, which I guess we haven't really said, is is <laughs> Jack Aubrey and HMS Surprise are ordered by the Admiralty to uh, find this French ship Acheron. Uh, that is intent on bringing the the war into the Pacific by basically by attacking the British whaling vessels there, and so he is meant to follow them and and uh, uh, wait. I wrote it down so I could get it exactly because of course I did. April eighteen oh five intercept French privateer Acheron en route to Pacific, intent on carrying the war into those waters, sink, burn, or take her a prize. Um, so he's ordered to do that. So that's why they're pursuing this ship. But uh, Jack and Stephen have a little moment um, after the battle where Jack is saying, I, you know, all of this way. And suddenly they happen on to our position in the middle of the night. Like, what are the chances? Right. How did they mm -hmm. do this? And Stephen says to him. Hold on, I've got another note, so I get that right too. Oh, oh, the French have their spies in England and elsewhere, as as do we. And he is referring to himself in that part because in the books, Stephen spies on behalf of Britain, and oh. uh, because he is in the, in the movie, we learn that he's Irish, but he's also Catalan. Catalan, oh. however you say it, Spanish. Oh, and that's how he knows Spanish. And that yes, and. Uh, the ways that they have been treated in the past and the um, oppressors that they have dealt with and what he has gone through have turned him. He doesn't spy for Britain because he loves Britain. He spies for Britain because he hates oppressors and he hates this sort of stuff that happens and wants to stop it. So he is wants to that, stop France and is Spain. That why he, um, is that why he knew that little tidbit about the doctor at the very, very end? Or was that just kind of uh, an incidental? I think that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I never really thought about it if that's how he knew that. But yes, yeah, I, I was kind of, I'm like, how did he know? Like, <laughs> yeah. did, did somebody just mess up or did well, he I, like I, get that info? I think they or? have lots of little hints in the movie to him being this, a spy. Right. And, and this, the, the, that is a that is definitely a big one. I think the other one that I really enjoy is when um, uh, Bethany, as you you so aptly put, when this little child says we have to board, <laughs> uh, and Matarin's right there with him, and he picks up a sword and starts fighting oh, immediately, yeah. like yes. like as if you know this like was he just knows what he's doing. <laughs> he knows exactly you know how to how to handle this situation, and then once that is done, he throws the sword down. He is like I. I need to not be seen like this. Like he's in the but, moment. Well, and, and I think it's that he knows how to handle himself like that. He can mm. fight. Yeah. But he does not want to do it. And so in this situation, yes, I am part of this crew here and I'm going to do this, but I'm disgusted by this at the same time, mm -hmm. you know, mm. but, and this gift that I have sent through to you that obviously no listeners can see is, is Stephen warming up to play his cello. Jack plays violin, Stephen plays cello, and we get nice music from this. Sometimes it's a hobby of theirs. And he is doing that and he pulls his, his uh, he's tuning and he pulls his hand down and just sort of flexes his fingers for a moment, at which just watching you would think, oh, he's just warming up his fingers. But in the books, he was tortured at one point. He was held prisoner and tortured and his, and, and Matarin's 
hands were injured very badly. Oh. And so that is actually a tiny little reference to that for oh, cool. readers of the book that he's like, oh, you know, my hand, you know, I have to stretch it. I wouldn't it want my it's... surgeon's uh, hands to be injured. Especially no, if but... I'm performing the surgery on myself. Oh my god! Yeah, I had to look <laughs> away. That was too much. For me. I know that was yep. rough. I do. I do. Do the oh thing while I. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's well documented oh, how much I love horror, but like any sort of real surgery looking things. Oh yeah, anything that's real I am looking. a squeamish little baby, and I will yeah. faint right over. And he oh, is. I had to look away at that. I love. I that there's watched a moment the in whole that. thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's that they don't really like, show you that much, which is interesting. It's so yeah. awful, but they don't show you like a lot of blood or anything. Yeah, and I, I thought at that time I wouldn't want anyone else to do it but myself. Right. Well, especially with Mr. Higgins, was it Higgins? Right. not like, any good at what he does. Price. She's like, no, no, I, I just need to study the pictures and stuff before I do it. It's like, oh, God, he's going like, to die, oh, you know. No. <laughs> <laughs> and Jack knows that. But I like yeah. there's a moment because he has Jack assist yeah. with the surgery. And there is a moment where it just for a second, it looks like Jack might pass out <laughs> just for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, even earlier in the movie, when that one older guy had the the head wound and that was so they were yes, doing the he was doing the, the brain surgery like up on yeah. the deck and just putting a coin in his head and i was oh skis yeah that's so the, bad. And everyone he, watching that's uh and that's a thing they could have done in the period too but yeah that it, he tri it was a trepani and he trepanned his head and, mm -hmm. and yeah and they put that and i love all the crews watching like is yes. them his brains it's like no that's dried blood those are his brains they're like that's oh they all lean over to look <laughs> <laughs> Is there any reason they like like why did they do it in the open air like just for that shot or well just... for the sun? Uh, yeah, oh right, right. you sure. need light. yeah because okay. in the on a on an actual vessel and and you see a little bit of it in the movie. Um, you see during the bat the first battle with the Akron, you see Stephen. Um, you know they put a, a cloth out on a table and you can see there's blood on it already. You mm -hmm. know dried blood and 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 then they're throwing sand on the floor so he can yes. doesn't the slit doesn't slip in the blood. Um, and then <laughs> and then later afterward when you first visit with when Jack comes down to visit uh, with Mr. Blakeney who's injured and there you see them having to crouch to pass under the deck above them. You know like the deck mm -hmm. is so so short um that they have to crouch and that's very accurate as well because the the surgeon during battle would have set up on the what's called the orlop deck which is a deck that's below the water line and by that oh, point okay. on any vessel like on hms victory if you go there you, you can go on that deck and it's you do have to crouch it's very low just mm -hmm. because you get narrower and narrower <laughs> as you're going yeah. down, you know. I did think the uh, the model thing was very cool, where the the one guy was just like, "Oh, my wife's second cousin was yes. in what like, was it like Boston, Boston when they were building the ship," and so I recreated it from like popsicle sticks from memory. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God for Wally and his wife's second cousin. Yes. Uh, <laughs> not that I know every line, but yeah, and that's that's a thing because she was built in Boston and she's. Um, She's built like USS Constitution, which you can still visit in Boston. And the reason that she got the name Old Ironsides was because as as they mentioned in this movie, you know, they're firing on this ship and their cannonballs are basically bouncing off her side. They aren't having any effect. And that's how Old Ironsides got her name. She was in an action with 
a British vessel. I think that was the HMS Guerriere. And during the battle, someone on the British ship said that, that, mm-hmm. you know, the, our, our cannonballs are bouncing off the side of her. What the heck? And so she got the name Ironsides. There's no iron in her, but, uh, <laughs> but it's just the way that she was built with the thicker oak. Yeah, they uh, said like two foot thick yeah. oak sides or something. Yeah, like it's like them. really high quality oak from here in America. And, uh, and then the manner that she was built in made a difference. I did enjoy this movie. <laughs> Aside from all the nitty gritty details. It is, I, it is I'm long. Glad it does I, take a bit to get through. But like, honestly, it's I came into this it. fully expecting all of you to hate it. So I'm very relieved that any of you liked it in any manner. Here's here's what I'll say. And this is, uh, I think this is a, a, what I'm about to describe as a rare feeling for me. <laughs> I finished this movie and I thought to myself, I need to watch this again. Like it Ooh, was nice. I was so like taken with all the little details and all the character beats and like the whole thing that I felt like if I watch this within the next week, I will gain so much more. Like I, I, <laughs> I feel like this is a movie that has like a lot of interesting things going on. Yeah. That, um, like they're, and and they all feel like natural, like nothing feels like uh, I don't know. It's like I feel like I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time. <laughs> I'm just like, it, oh, it this is, is this yeah. is a whole world uh, that I've just been allowed to peek into, <laughs> and I guess I'll never get to peek into it again. Like it's just there was no never the sequel never came to be. Uh, right. There's no I uh, this this to me the fact that it's based on a book series. I'm surprised there's never been a TV show. Well, that's uh, the thing I've thought is this could make a great like 10 part or 20 part uh, Netflix show, you know, where they could mm-hmm. do these. Oh, yeah, Again, the, the stuff on this uh, that takes place on the sea is going to be very difficult to do. But there are books in the series that take place more on land than at sea. Um, yeah, there's well, I. I You'll discover them. Read them. I, I'm going to go off on a tangent. Uh, well, and, I, and, and I mean, the the one of the things that I read about this movie was that it was the first movie to film on Galapagos Island that wasn't a documentary. Correct. Wow. Yes. And cool. I I would guess it's still one of the only ones because I don't mm-hmm. think it's common. But yeah, those those scenes in the Galapagos were real. Those you know those giant tortoises that they were dealing with were real. None of that was faked. Mm-hmm. You know, if Stephen was measuring a bird, he actually was doing that with a real genuine Galapagos creature. That's in the documentary I watched as well. Um, because they were amazed at the number of things they could film that these creatures just let them do because they weren't afraid. And so they were yeah, like, they wow, really this is awesome. People, so like, okay. <laughs> but they said, yeah, people are going to think it's all animatronics or something. And it's not. There are those are real creatures. It looks pretty real. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you do get a really cool look in in uh, Master and Commander at the beginning, the very beginning, as they're sort of there's a guy walking through, kind of doing just doing a boat check, um, and you see everyone sleeping in their hammocks, and they're very close together. Where you know the reality was they were 14 inches apart, um, where they where they hung them, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but half the crew, basically half the crew would sleep at a time so that half oh, the crew okay. was on deck and half the crew was sleeping during certain watches overnight. Uh, 
But then you could be called up at any time when you were needed. I'll, oh, yeah. I'll tell you, the the most knowledge I had of, of boat stuff like this uh, happened in the past year when I played the video game Sea of Thieves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where the, the way that you play, you, you can play, you know, online with your friends. Uh, and so you're all on one ship and they're nowhere near the size of these ships. They're very small because you have to work together to do the sail and fire the cannon if someone's coming up to your ship and right. uh, all these little things. So it's it's truly, it it is, you know, like I am in awe looking at how big these ships get and how all these people have to work together to to run them because I played a video game that <laughs> made me do that with three friends and we couldn't do it. You know? <laughs> yeah, and I mean, I have- On a tiny boat. <laughs> I yeah. have crewed on- uh, a brig, I've crewed on two brigantines and a brig, which are different types of, they're not ships, they're boats. Both of these, Surprise and Victory, both qualify as ships because a ship is three masts square oh, rigged. Right. Okay. So I was like, I was going to say, it's like number of masts or yeah, something. Yeah. So, it's, so you have a, a, a four mast, main mast, mizzen mast, and each one has square sails on it. So you don't have any, any, major sails that go fore and aft you do there are little ones in between but they're not you know mm -hmm. uh whereas something like a brig or a brigantine or something might have two uh masts some vessels only have one some have fore and aft sails some have square sails right? so there there are there's they're catches and brigs and there are all these different names and i'm terrible at remembering what's what so um but just working on the ones that I have and, and the brig, uh, Lady Washington, um, which was in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, just doing that with the crew when I was on, they should have a crew of something like 12 or 13. When I was on, they were very shorthanded between two ships that were two boats that were sailing. Uh, so we had like six or seven and it was difficult because everybody had to be doing something all the time. And all we were doing was taking a bunch of school kids out for a sale. You know, <laughs> we weren't, we you weren't, were you know, it was a little stormy one time, but not bad. You know, we weren't in battle. And uh, see, so yeah, I can't, I can't imagine the coordination required for, you know, upwards of a thousand men yeah. or on surprise, 200 men to be working and ma to make that thing go and to be manning. I mean, you see how many people it takes just to just to operate a, a gun. You know, mm -hmm. they're ca they're called guns when they're on a ship, cannons when they're on land. So don't ever go on a ship and call it a cannon. Um, <laughs> they'll call you a lover. Um, <laughs> well, that's where the term uh, son of a gun comes from, right? Yes. Because if you didn't know whose who's son it was that was born on, on the ship or at least... Um, conceived on the ship. <laughs> they just called a son of a gun. <laughs> I had no idea. I don't. I know. Well, son of, son of a gun comes from sailing vessels. That's not the story I've heard of. That, okay, means. that's that's the only one that I've. But heard. I can't. But I cannot reach back in my memory and figure out what it is I have heard. So, uh, <laughs> but but I mean, like you do get you get on that subject, and I will try to be brief. You do get. Uh, there's a moment when they're having a meal it, below decks. And one guy brings over a big bucket of yuck and <laughs> and serves it to a group of other guys, which is, you know, those are your messmates. 
and you did have a number of your mess. And so there was a whole process with that, how the food was done and everything. And you do get a great view of a Brody stove, which is what they would have had a Brody or a Kambus oven on mm-hmm. the, on the vessels. But um, he comes over and he serves it out. And one of the guys puts his plate out. It's a wooden plate and it's square, which is what they were. So they could store them and they wouldn't roll away. Uh, uh-huh. And that's where three square meals comes from. It's because oh. you had them on your square oh. plates. Yes. There are Ooh. a million phrases we <laughs> use every day that come from the sailing era that I yeah. have learned along the way. And every time it blows my mind, like, whoa, really? <laughs> that too? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> A lot. Yeah, they say uh, they say podcast comes from you'd cast out your pod <laughs> to listen to what was going on, right? And that's like, has to do with a pod of whales. It was from whaling vessels. Oh, yours yes. is better. Sorry. Yes, and so you did cast your 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 harpoons out to get the pod, and you had to communicate with everyone to make that happen. I don't know. I'm trying. You cast uh, unit to get all the listeners. <laughs> I don't know. Some of you need oh to walk the plank. Yes. <laughs> Not real. Uh, I know. <laughs> the one thing we mentioned. <laughs> I knew you knew that. Uh, yeah. So, but I mean, yeah, it's a, I think, it, you know, I like the plot of this movie. I think it's, you know, I'm trying to bring it back to the plot, but, you know, it, it gives you this chase, basically. The whole thing is a chase, right? In the mm-hmm. end. Uh, with a couple of battles, one at the start and one at the end, really. And uh, it just serves as a way to really, I don't know, give it gives a chance to really open up this world during those kind of chase portions where you don't necessarily have the Acheron right there on top of them, but it's just them doing their sailing ship thing and living in this wooden world and... Uh, I think, yeah, it's a great look at what that was like. Uh, Cheryl, you've mentioned the DVD or Blu-ray that you've watched. And uh, this is not a joke. I'm being serious. Is there a (laughs) version that you can watch to where anytime they use terminology, there's like a little pop-up that says, here's what it is. Here's where it comes from. Here's that what would it be means. really awesome. Oh, was, it, was it MTV that used to do that? Like the little yeah, like, but like there's notes? pop-up video. Pop-up video, yeah. I'm looking at my info on the DVD here because there was something I saw. If not, I Cheryl, you should that, uh, make one. Yeah. Joe, yeah, was something I saw that I was like, that. ooh. Yeah. We need to watch it with Cheryl, that's all. <laughs> yes, that would actually be uh, preferable for me as well because I really enjoyed doing that. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of... Uh, other movies uh, set at sea or on a on a ship or or in this time period even uh, that that I can think of, and it just feels to me like well, this is such a uh, like a big open yeah. area where, where yeah, we don't there have a lot there of, used yeah. to be a lot more of these. Um, they were less realistic in terms of what it looked like when the ships were at sea, you know, because they were just models in a tank. But um, there's for it for a really good look at a different, totally different aspect of the Royal Navy, I recommend the movie Billy Budd, which is, I don't know, from the 50s, maybe, um, with Peter Ustinov and a very young Terrence Stamp. Very young. Like, oh, it's cool. introducing Terrence Stamp. You know, <laughs> he's so young. But that's a really excellent look at... Um, 
uh, what is the word I'm looking for? Not punishment, not justice per se, but but at that aspect of the Royal Navy of of ah, discipline, determining yeah, discipline. Thank you. And and it, a very serious situation happens, um, and the captain, played by Peter Ustinov, is forced to make a decision. He they're at sea. They can't call a full wow. court martial, and so they just have a small court martial. But it's him having to decide, you know, do I go with what I want to have happen here, or do, am I bound by the what's laid out for me in the Articles of War by the Royal Navy? And it's really good, and it will make you cry. But <laughs> uh, and it's based on a, a book by. Um, Hello, the guy who wrote Moby Dick. Uh, oh, you know that guy. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to say Melville. I think yeah. so. Herman Melville. Herman, yes, yeah, yes, Herman yes. Herman Thank you. Go. Good pull. Uh, yeah. So anyway, but it's very good. But yeah, there are a lot. There are older movies. Oh, uh, I think there's one called of, Damn the Defiant, um, which I still haven't seen. But okay. Speaking of a uh, Moby Dick, uh, it's it's not Moby Dick, but it's it's basically the story that kind of inspired it, which oh, came yeah. out. Wow, probably like 2013 or something. Yeah, with, uh, Chris Hemsworth. Yeah, it's uh, Ron Howard directed it. Uh, Ron it's actually very good. What's it called? I don't, I'm, I'm looking it up right now because I can't yeah. remember either. I definitely saw it in the theater. It though. Called, like the whale and the something doesn't it have. No, a it's it's similar to, but but that that would be the only other kind of parallel in terms of like accuracy and ship and and it's it's very much. Uh, like very dramatic retelling of the story. You kind of jump around in time and, but it's, it's, you're stuck with this one crew on this one ship and, and the obviously. Yeah. And and that's when, that's when where the book is remarkably better than the movie as far as story goes. But, um, Hold on, I'm still looking it up. I think what the hey, uh, (laughs) oh, here it is. Uh, I'm getting, I was trying to get to his Ron Howard's filmography and now my, phone is being so odd okay. I've, I've looked up film versions of moby dick and there there's more than i thought there would be oh <laughs> it, it's called in the heart of the sea in the heart of the sea okay yes yes uh yeah that's a very different kind of tale but a good yeah. movie generally not as good as this by a long shot but uh <laughs> in my humble opinion yeah, other than uh, this and the pirates movies the only two and they're definitely not set back in that time period but the only two like ship out on water movies i can think of off the top of my head is a perfect storm and mm-hmm. a white uh, not a white squall but white squall like mid 90s yeah. with jeff bridges hmm. yeah well you and then you see for, that many of them like you you have tv series like there's the hornblower series uh, didn't they do with, what, was it pirates with a uh, what's his name oh, oh yeah um, malkovich there was the whole <laughs> uh there was the whole uh black sales series yes but um but still those are you know not quite the same thing obviously but uh i would very much love to see this turned into uh, uh like a netflix mini series and yeah. and there i am part of a group on facebook called the aubrey matter and appreciation society <laughs> um it is not the only one a group that exists for this uh but people constantly try to cast the roles uh with with current more current actors you know i was about to ask you, you put. i do not know i i cannot see anyone but paul bettany as matter and 
now, even though he doesn't fit the description of Matterin in the books. It's how I pictured Matterin throughout uh, Cheryl's character crush corner. We haven't done in a while. Obviously, it's Matterin. <laughs> Let me. Um, can I have my little? Uh, uh, hey, it's it's a it's a Marvel moment. Uh, I know. I know what you're going to say. It's 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 really interesting. Paul Bettany, of course. Now, uh, I I don't know how many of us are watching Wandavision, but I yeah. it's, oh, it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, uh, I still Paul think Bettany, it's okay. Paul Bettany <laughs> uh, plays Vision, but before he was Vision, he was just the voice of of uh, of the AI known as Jarvis. Jarvis. Yeah, uh, and then there was an, uh, a TV series called Agent Carter about Peggy yes, Carter gosh, from great. Captain America. Uh, and James oh, Darcy right. was the physical <laughs> Jarvis. Jarvis of the past. That's right. That obviously, the AI was named after. So mm-hmm. it's it, we have uh, Jarvis and well, Jarvis. Jarvis. I'm a, I am embarrassed. I never put that together. <laughs> yes, he played Mister Pullings, uh, mm-hmm. who goes off to captain his ship. He gets a, an at sea uh, promotion. So uh, the movie that won Best Picture the year that this was nominated was The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Uh. So, which I, I don't know, I guess, but I still think uh, this should have won. Well, Master and Commander <laughs> was nominated for yeah. like 10 Oscars. A lot. Yeah. And it won a handful, but things like editing and mm-hmm. nothing, none of the major. It won the Best Cinematography ones. and Best Sound Editing. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah, and then nominated. nominated for, oh, it was nominated. Best picture, yeah, best picture and best director. Uh, so it's people at the time. It, it the Oscar. I mean, as we as we were talking about, they wanted it to get Oscars, and it and it did. It it worked. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, like I like Andrew's saying, very it's, excited. <laughs> it's kind of rare that a movie, especially such a huge budget movie like this is kind of championed by someone at the studio. Cause usually these movies like period piece on water, like in wartime is like a, a studio executives budget nightmare. Like normally right. they would like, and, and, and this happened a lot actually, I think on pirates is a bunch of executives would show up and, um, be like, what are you doing? This is so much money. Why is Johnny Depp acting like a drunk man? Like we can't do this. This is insane. <laughs> and and it, it was kind of the opposite on this one where maybe they've spent like a little too much money. Like you're saying, you're going and casting around all these people that look like old paintings, which is cool. And like, it all shows up in the final product, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of why they didn't get a sequel. I'm imagining. Well, yeah. I mean, I was just looking at like, what did I miss in my notes on those extras? So just a few handful of things, the costumes, they had approximately 2000 costumes for this. Um, with, you know, extras for certain people and everything. Uh, The final uh, ship-to-ship battle sequence took four weeks to organize and choreograph, which Mm -hmm. is fascinating because it's so choreographed and it looks like such absolute chaos. Yeah. (laughs) Like they did such a great job. Um, For the music that Matarin and Aubrey play together, the two of them learned how to play those not as well as what you hear on the soundtrack, of course, but to make it look accurate, they learned to play the pieces on the instruments. 
Um, there was a quote from Paul Bettany in it where he said, I sound like I'm trying to climb into a squirrel. <laughs> I yeah. don't know what poor, that means, poor but cello, it's funny. Poor cello playing just kind of sounds like... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then one of the things I missed in talking about Peter Weir prepping to write this, besides visiting the places that he did, being down in Australia um, and regions... Um, he spent, I think it was a week, he crewed aboard the Endeavor, which is another mm. replica cool. ship uh, down there. So he actually climbed aloft and worked the sails, as I have done on a smaller vessel than that. But um, so he actually understood some of what was happening and what it felt like. I want to kind of go back to the Oscars for a minute, because, Andrew, you mentioned that it had 10 nominations. The only film that had more was Return of the King with 11. Uh. So, it, I mean, it was right up there with that. I actually didn't realize that it was uh, that nominated in various categories. And then that Mystic River and Return of the King were the only three that had multiple wins. Wow. So it, it actually was recognized fairly well. Yeah. Well, and, and budget-wise, I feel like Lord of the Rings must have had at least this amount of money, if not more. I mean, you want to talk about costumes, like right? <laughs> they had like, I mean, if if anybody's seen any of the like behind the scenes, they had like specific armor for each orc clan in that movie. Like the detail is insane. Of course, it's all like fantasy, fantastical detail, but like nonetheless, kind kind of on the on a similar level. Yeah. Also, I mean, Return of the King. That's the third one right so it's really yeah, the final one like by that point it was i bet their budget was like oh yeah, yeah. here take every dollar <laughs> <laughs> and bring us back 25 oscars yeah yeah master and commander was nominated for best costume design but lost to return of the king ah. so i can see that those orcs yes yeah i wish it had one more but you know all right there were other movies <laughs> I guess there's other movies. Uh, what about I, you, though? I do. <laughs> I do use a lot of the quotes from this movie in my day-to-day life. Like I said, I do the Killick stuff all the time, and uh, yeah, it's that kind of movie for me. It's which is weird because normally that's the, something like Ghostbusters or The Big Lebowski, but uh, this one has a lot of quotes for me. How many times have you watched this film? Oh, I don't know. It was only once in the theater. Uh, Like I said, I have have a DVD fancy edition and a Blu-ray. I couldn't begin to tell you. Not as many many times as I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean, just because that's a much easier movie to just sit down and plop into the middle of or just watch Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just fun. Whereas this one, you know, you do have to be in a bit of the mood for it because it's longer Mm -hmm. and it's not one you just really want to just pick up in the middle, you know. <laughs> right, right. You could. I feel like I feel like if you're watching Pirates, you have to drink rum, and if you're watching this one, you have to drink like brandy. Like, don't know why. They do mention grog them. in it. They grog and rum. It yes. looked like they were kind of drinking like a sherry sort of thing, though. At least, at least in the, the captain's uh, the, the cabin. Captain. Yes, yeah. Probably Madeira, because that's brought up a lot in the uh, in the yes. books. This is okay. So they talk about. Uh, I'll keep it short, but they talk about Nelson and this and how Nelson, you know, with Nelson, it made your heart glow, you know, Mm -hmm. where he said he didn't need a boat boat cloak in the cold because his zeal for king and country kept him warm. And uh, but literally in this battle, he was shot. They took him below decks. He held on. He was dying. You know, he was shot through his shoulder and it went through his spine. Um, 
and you can see his his uniform from that battle on display at the National Maritime Museum in Greenwich. You can see the bullet, the shot hole in the shoulder. Um, it's fascinating to actually see it in person, or it is to me. And uh, but he held on until someone came down and said to him, "We have, you know, we've won the battle." And he said, like his final or next to final words were, "Thank God I have done my duty," and oh, then wow. like died. Like this guy's like the most British thing that's yes, like, this is the most <laughs> like fictional kind of thing, you know? Like he's, yeah, yeah. he was so fictionally brilliant with this, and like the stories about him are amazing. He was also an adulterer, but you know. Uh, <laughs> so I have a quick question. Um, yes. And I might be wrong or reading into a bit, but uh, so towards the beginning, when when my favorite little nine year old lord loses his arm, um, <laughs> and and uh, Captain Aubrey goes below decks, kind of kind of to where he is, where he's recovering, he gives him a book. He's like, "Oh, you like reading? Here's like accounts of like Nelson's greatest battles and victories and such." And then it has the little uh, sketching of him in the front page, and it zooms in. Yes. Did Nelson also was he also missing a limb, or was that just yes. kind of like where? Okay, he was yes. missing a limb. All right. Yeah, his he arm. he had he lost his eyesight in one eye in a battle uh, when he got like gravel into it, and uh, and yes, he did lose an arm. Uh, okay. I should know which battle that was at. The Jack talks about being with him at the Battle of the Nile, um, mm-hmm. and that's where one of those things happened. <laughs> he can't remember like, which. That really, I mean, that little that makes that whole moment all the more like better. Like, yeah. I, yes, yeah. I didn't even pick up on that at all. And that, I, yeah, I know that, that enhances cool. that entire exchange like by a thousand. Like yeah. I, I thought it was a sweet little moment before and now I'm just like near tears. I'm like, Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and the only reason I asked was cause I, so, sometimes I'm sure you've seen like in a lot of those older pictures, they would kind of have oversized coats or they would be like holding something inside of their coats. So you couldn't really tell, but yeah. And that sketching, it's like, there's a big like empty sleeve. <laughs> Well, my takeaway from the film is that anything that has a boat on the ocean needs to have the characters sing Spanish ladies, because that's always one of my favorite parts of the movie. Oh, but my favorite is from don't Josh. forget your don't forget your old shipmate. But yeah, I get that. Uh, and then my takeaway from our recording today is I, I wanna start a petition to rename those little bathroom areas gory holes instead of glory holes (laughs) (laughs) no uh, beautiful (laughs) take us home joe family podcast that's like like the visual there is like the curtain is closing on us as (laughs) yeah with the hook yeah. Yank you off stage. <laughs> <laughs> and now in my head, like I see someone l- listening to us, and then a little five year old, like, what's a glory hole? <laughs> <laughs> Only because you repeated it. Now they'll really want to know. Yeah. By, by the way, okay, one last thing I do want to say it's important that this movie is based in April 1805, and they're talking about Nelson. He died in October of 1805. So ah. perhaps while they were still out at sea. And it generally, like, I, like I, I thought the movie was okay. I really yeah. love the battle stuff, mm-hmm. of course. But now, like, I want to rewatch it, and yeah, I want to sure. not just focus on whoever's in the foreground talking. I want to look at like all the people on the 
in the background on deck doing things. Well, I, I think it's interesting, like just seeing, you know, you see animals on the ship. You see, you know, this, you don't think about that. Like, well, how did they get their oh, food? Yeah. You know, not everything was, was in a barrel. And yeah, and you see, you see, I think you see cows at one point or, you know. It's like the very beginning. Some kind of thing. Yeah, right at the beginning. But yeah, I think it's really cool that they, they show so much of that and yet they don't make a big deal out of it it's like yeah this is mm -hmm. just life here but if you pay attention you can learn an awful lot from it yeah, i i i enjoyed it as well um not my favorite movie but it, i don't understand people saying that if you can't fall asleep because yeah it held it definitely held my interest like joe yeah. loved the battle scenes but i particularly love uh paul bettany like everything he did and said, you know, all this, you know, of course you'd want to jump off of this unknown island and see all these, you know, the, I loved his passion for discovery of, you know, iguanas can't swim, you know, yeah. <laughs> those yeah. little things that delighted me. Two new species and, in as many minutes. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and the little boy, oh my God, it, what a great actor um, yes. at that age. He was just fascinating. And I, I, did not want him to die. Oh my gosh! I was that was that was what pulled me through. I was so worried about <laughs> him. Be okay. oh, when he came, when the doctor kind of came back from his wound, and the oh little boy gosh. had his notebooks where he had been doing sketches of all the different yeah. species. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah, I'd like. I'd like to be like a, a more of a fighting naturalist. A like fighting naturalist. <laughs> 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 so good. Uh, one thing I do want to say about about Stephen Matterin is that he's a bit of a whiner in the movie. Whenever he doesn't get to go to the, um, to walk over yeah. the Galapagos because things of the Royal Navy take precedence, he is not that way in the books at all. So, okay, yeah. Well, they needed. Contact. I would have whined. <laughs> I would have too. I would very much be like him. But he he in the books he understands that the service has to come first. He may not like it, but he understands mm -hmm. it. My name is Elisa Gonzalez, and I can be found on Twitter at thisalisa. I'm Andrew Lindy, and I host other podcasts such as Nothing New, a remake podcast, uh, where my co-host and I talk about films that are remakes. Uh, I would love if they would, quote unquote, remake this film so that I could cover it again. Uh, <laughs> and it would be really interesting to see who they would cast now. Cheryl, you got to send me some of those lists of the uh, uh, people in the group that they're, they're casting. I'll track uh, them down. <laughs> Uh, you can find that at benvnetwork.com slash nothing new. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Podcaster Andrew. I am Cheryl Jones. You can find me on all social media at Speedway CJ. Uh, you can listen to Five Years of Movies Made Me uh, everywhere you listen to podcasts. And at some point, I will have a new show, My Core 4, ready for you. I'm Joe Myers. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that Joe Myers. I also co-host a horror podcast called The Podcast Macomb, where you can find us at podcastmacomb.com and find all of our social media presence there as well. I'm Bethany Brinton. I'm a composer and musician. I wrote the music you're hearing right now. Uh, and you can find me on all the social things at Bethany Brinton. 
And we are It's On My List. Uh, you can find us everywhere uh, at It's On My List Pod. And if you want to send us an email, we are It's On My List Pod at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite tiny detail about Master and Commander or any other ship seafaring movies that we need to see next. Uh, and thank you very much for listening to It's On My List. <laughs>